Welcome back to Deep Thoughts, ladies and gentlemen. So today I'm going to do an episode that's I think has a lot of value, and it's called Paradigms of Perception. What this episode's going to help, hopefully in your life, is when you get into a conversation with an individual or individuals, you're going to go through this process from now on. If you get this episode, it will greatly enhance your ability to communicate with them. It will also help you with something that is not very customary in American communication, which is to hold back until you understand what paradigm these individuals are coming from. And I'll get into all the details of this, but it's going to greatly enhance your ability to engage accurately with another human being based on the paradigm that they're in. Because we don't talk about this. It's definitely not something anyone taught me. And it's not something that anyone really notices. But when you're in a conversation with individuals, I do a lot of conversations at cigar lounges. And last night we had a fascinating conversation. Myself and two other gentlemen that I love dearly uh, got into a deep conversation about God. What could God be? What's heaven? Did Jesus exist? All these different things. And as my friends were communicating back, I could see one person was just an industrial fan of his opinions, which we love, right? It's nice to be in a place where you feel safe and you can say whatever's on your mind, straight up. The other one's a little older, about my age, and he was more guarded and being careful and being very sweet. He, he knew across the room, just staring at me, that he and I were very much on the same page. Even though our belief systems are different, our style of communication was definitely... I wouldn't say guarded, but definitely we're, we're tempering how fast we were going to express our own opinions. And he and I were using a lot more processing power ahead of speaking, which is something that is taught in other countries in some cases. I think Great Britain is the place where uh, I've had employment at companies that were centralized in Great Britain and... When I would meet the individuals, they would be very guarded, very quiet. Uh, they could be three feet away from you and you couldn't hear what they're saying. I mean, it was that kind of thing. Whereas the, you know, the boisterous cowboy American stereotype is just blurting out stuff a lot of times, right? By the way, I have to thank Wendy from Orange Ray for this beautiful stick she sent me for my birthday. These are just amazing, amazing sticks. The good old Monte Cristo. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons why I wanted to get into this show back in 2015 and is evident by season one, which you can either find on Rumble, BitChute, or in a separate channel on YouTube for this show. Just go to deepthoughtsradio.com. You can find season one if these type of subjects are really interesting to you. OG listeners, you know this is going on constantly. But these are like the lessons and you know, no one ever teaches you because it's, quite frankly, you have to live a very interesting life to get these lessons early. And you have to 
usually live several decades to understand that this even happens, right? Now, you guys know this subconsciously, regardless if you know it consciously, but I want this to be right on the forefront of your methodology to communicate with another human being, because we are in a state of the world where they're coming after the world, right? The individuals that have the most power and the most money are coming after the world. And the only way that we can slow them down, because I don't think unless they cease to exist, which means you'd have to identify them to displace them and make them cease to exist, and most of them are hidden, this war is never going to end, right? And so we are, as I said in my word of mouth episode, we're in a battle of good information vetted usually by personal experience versus any type of hearsay. And so we're getting into, we're trying to pass information around that we feel is very important. And of course, we run into roadblocks because people are in paradigms of thought. Now, some of them are very evident and you know them very well. You'll have a more conservative person, a more liberal person, and your super extremes on both sides of those paradigms. Those you know about, you know, if you're at Thanksgiving dinner in America or any type of holiday in your respective country, you have to be careful talking about various subjects, right? And you will guard yourself and you'll even know that at, you know, in your teens, you'll be careful. But let's just say that you're both, you consider both of you to be in the same group and you're going to engage in a conversation. And then you find a little riff, a place where you potentially don't see eye to eye. You see things differently than they see it. At that point, you're, you're trying to identify how different they are than you so that when you speak, you're, if you're trying to persuade them, you're going to engage them on a level that they completely understand. You want to use words that they understand. You want to use previous beliefs that, that perhaps you had in the past. And you've seen, you're seeing a person, my friend who was talking about religion, he is going through a massive Kubler-Ross of organized religion. But it's full of a bunch of contradictions. It's very, very interesting. In one realm, he'll say, I'm not for organized religion. And when you say you're not part of organized religion, you have to kick out of your equation all of the assets that you have acquired within organized religion. The funny thing that I found, and this is just a good example, is that when someone disinvolves organized religion, but then goes back to something like the Old Testament, Adam and Eve, and quotes it as if it is absolutely literally real, then they're absolutely knee deep in organized religion. When someone says, well, when I say I'm not an organized religion, that means it's just me and God. That's it. I don't need any layers of human creation between myself and God. Now, I've been blessed, as well as you have, with texts that do a great job of teaching man how to behave and be good to each other, which on this show, we boil down to three little words, do no harm. That's it. Everything, in my opinion, and this is just a digression into this uh, example here, everything that's godly should be that simple, that beautiful, do no harm. Easy peasy, man, right? And But when you say do no harm, as a young person, you know, you would may, may look at the rules of the land and say, I won't break any of the rules, and that means I'm not doing any harm. 
as you get older, you start to think about it more intellectually and you go, well, for Joe, do no harm is based on Joe's perception of what he wants to have, you know, shared with him with friendship and what he never wants to have shared with friendship, what he wants to have happen to him and not happen to him. But Bill over here is a different person. He might have a completely different list of things than this guy over here. And so as you get older, you realize, you know, some guys don't want to be hugged. Some dudes uh, feel like it's an insult if you don't bring it in, you know, when you say hi. And so there's different perceptions that do no harm. In business, you if you deal with any type of negotiation or you're a manager of employees or you're the CEO of a company, you have very important things to communicate. In a negotiation, you want to get the most reward for the least amount of effort. And they're looking for the same exact thing. And so the only way you're ever going to satisfy the other team in a negotiation is to perceive their paradigm of existence. What is important to them? What is it that they really, really want? Have they missed something that you can provide that isn't even on the table and offer that up as a mechanism to get them on your side? And they're like, oh man, I never even thought about that. You can do that too? Yes, that's one of our specialties. And I think that would really make you happy. And they're like, yeah, totally. All right, well, if that's the case, bing, 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 you knock off a lot of requirements on their list to you. See how that works? With employees, there's no other way to manage people other than to get to know each individual employee because everybody ticks differently. I used to ask my employees, I said, look, I would ask them, have you ever gotten out of bed in the morning and you just utterly sprang out of bed? Because something at work is so exciting that you just can't wait to continue what you're working on. And I was in the video game industry, so it was a little bit easier to find people with those answers. Some people have jobs where they've never had that moment, right, unfortunately. And it's a good sign maybe look into another line of work, start studying, don't quit your job until you've got the other line of work set up. But then I would figure out, because it would tell me, it would, it, it would inform me about the paradigm of their thought process. What turns them on? What makes them tick? And so then I would look at the objectives of either the company I'm working for or the company I've created and try to make sure that within, well, within the fastest amount of time I can introduce new objectives into their life that are right in line with what makes them tick. And it's never anything specific. It's a theme. They like creating things. They like drawing things. Doesn't matter if they draw game A or game B. Doesn't matter if they code game A or game B. They like coding. They like making a difference. They like having, you know, potential customers come in on a test session and double click the app and then see what they've created and then just fawn over it. That makes certain people tick. When you run a company, you are responsible for giving them a vision, which you know, before that, you have to create a vision. What is your company about? You have to know. That's a big deal. Then you have to communicate it to however many employees you have. And based on what makes individual people tick, as you are speaking the vision to your company, you should be looking people in the eyes and saying little phrases that make that person satisfied, that person satisfied, that person satisfied. 
And what's interesting about it, when it really comes down to brass tacks, it goes like this. When people say, I work for this company, because their family will say, what do you do for a living? And I do this thing. I work at this company. It's called this and I do that. They want that moment to glow. They want to say, I work for Tesla and I, I design the interface for the little computer off to the side. I work for SpaceX and I do jet propulsion stuff. I'm a liaison between this company and that company. They want that to be a rewarding statement because it is the moment you're kind of being sized up by whoever's asking. At least that's inferred for a lot of folks. When you get older, you give less about that, right? One of the paradigms you understand is talking to children. You understand that when a child lives at home, their whole world is their bedroom, the front room, the bathroom, maybe the backyard, maybe the front yard. And that's all they know until they go to school. And then they've introduced to a new paradigm. That's why a lot of kids cry on their first day to school. I can never understand that as a child, but I was probably about 40 years old when I was born. They would cry because they're terrified of this new paradigm. But what happens after about a week of school, if not the first day? They love it, usually. They found fun things to do. There's all kinds of resources and materials in school that they don't have at home. But when you sit down to talk to a child, I see this all the time. Adults will stand, uh, you know, fully erect, looking down at a child, creating that kind of superiority thing between a child and adult. And it's not that that's not important as well, but if you really want to engage a kid, I don't know when I started this, but it was pretty early in my life. I will kneel down to a child's height and talk to them face to face especially if they're tiny, because they're more fragile when they're tiny. They have barely experienced anything in this particular incarnation. In a way, I'm crawling down into their paradigm. And I'm, I'm meeting them eye to eye, and they notice it on a subconscious level. They do. And you be pleasant and smile. Because if I don't know them, and they're my friend's kids or something like that, and they're like, hey, this is you know Uncle Mark, whatever, da-da-da, I need to make sure that's a very pleasant experience for them. And of course, the, the, the fragility of a child is typically entertained when you start asking them about their opinions. What are you doing today? What are you, whoa, what's that right there? Oh, that's really cool. They're building Legos or they're doing something else and you really just jump into it. Any communication about their life, they love. What's interesting about having made this show and made 700 and Jeez, must be up to almost 770 videos at this point. I did an Excel spreadsheet of every single episode I've made. Probably about 40 of them don't exist uh, online because, they're again, they're throwaways. But I get your responses to any subject that I cover, right? And it's, it's very rewarding and very educational to see the responses, especially the ones that don't necessarily agree, because you guys are very cordial, and I, I appreciate that, and kudos to every single one of you that say, look, I don't, I don't agree. But I still love you, man. You know, I'll continue watching your video, or videos, right? But that's educating me on hundreds of different paradigms of thought. And a lot of times, you, you guys will make uh, comments about videos that upgrade my paradigms, that, that enlighten. Remember, enlighten is to see more. 
And that's kind of where you want to be. It's a little daunting. You know, the more that you expand your mind, you become a little more isolated in the world because you can't have these conversations with that many people. And I think that's why folks subscribe to the channel, hopefully, is you kind of find a like mind between the two of us, but you also find potentially like minds in the comments. Again, I'll, I'll say it till the day I die. I mean, you, you know, you guys' comments have been phenomenal over the years, really just game changers in, in many cases for me. And it's, it's probably about 10, 15% that just blow me away or make me laugh out loud. But there's something else about a paradigm that's actually very important. And I know, I, I know that you've seen this, but I, I, I don't know. If you've lived the life I've lived, which is pretty nutty and pretty diverse, I still don't have people in my circles understanding specifically what's going on. But we deal with the consequences. And I'm just going to say this, and you guys are going to nod your heads. People will defend their paradigms almost to the death in some cases, right? Or at least conversationally, they will go up to the most heated exchange that they've ever had in their life if you start to question their paradigm of belief. And with the, with the, the events that are going on in the world right now, it's phenomenal to see um, people that have very educated paradigms, making very educated comments, but being poo-pooed by 99% of the world who have no information about the paradigm that this other person is speaking from. There's a couple countries going at it. I guess it's a country and a group of people. And it's hard to ever see. I mean, we got another war that's kind of tapering down now between the bear and the actor playing a president. These situations are as horrible as man can create on earth, really between two factions outside of using big weapons that destroy the world. And it's, it's fascinating that you've seen this, and there's lots of memes about this, where they, they taunt this gullible segment of society with one thing, and they, they'll show like spinny eyes, and then the next one's the other paradigm. And once you get tired of that one, it's this one, and then it's this one. And we know mathematically it's extremely difficult to be informed about something that you know nothing about to the point you could express a really deep educated opinion about things. However, when there's pain and suffering and when there's death, we can easily say, look, that, that situation needs to be extinguished. This shouldn't have occurred. Thousands of people are dead. Tremendous amount of suffering. I believe that God's got everyone's back, you know, so even if someone does perish in these things, they're just resetting in my opinion. But it still shortened their life. It left behind tremendous amounts of suffering for those who love the individuals who disappeared as a result of these events. And so there's a severity to paradigms. And I know you know this. I mean, but again, have you had any conversations about this personally with another human being, very specifically about the paradigm of belief, which means you have to find someone who is not going to fall into a paradigm in the conversation and start to get really angry with you that you're even debating that they could be wrong, that things could be different, that the way things are shouldn't be the way they are. And if you're going to fix it, how are you going to fix it? So 
you know, I'll give you an example. This is going to be a ridiculous example, but it will definitely illustrate what I'm trying to say here. Let's just say that you're debating with someone in America how to celebrate Christmas. When do you get the trees out? When do you get the lights out? When do you make the place smell like pine needles, right? Is it right after Thanksgiving or is it two weeks before Christmas? Okay. When you were having that conversation with some random person or a friend of yours that you don't live with, man, it's just a casual conversation, no big deal. You could be watching TV at the same time. But if you want to debate a war, who's right and who's wrong? When neither one of you live in the countries that are at war with each other, perhaps one of you has done a lot of research on what might have led up to that war, and one of them hasn't. But people are dying, so the severity of the paradigm is at an all-time high. Typically, what I find is that individuals will find a common ground of do no harm, meaning, well, the pain and suffering needs to stop. And then it's just a debate on how the solution uh, should be presented, right? There's also that causality issue. How did this get started in the first place? Humans love blame. Blame is sort of a past tense game. But it's hard to, it would be literally impossible to tell someone who's lost a loved one due to this war paradigm that they should reset their brain and, and give up on any retaliation or belief that this shouldn't have occurred in the first place. And of course, those who create the wars, well, their, their game is to figure out who to blame that is absolutely innocent and make sure those that, uh, who are truly guilty are never in the conversation whatsoever, right? So as you engage a conversation and find yourself talking to someone from a different world, I mean, this could be your neighbor, this could be your relative, this could be your child, this could be your brother, sister, mom, dad, whatever. It's good to figure out how important it is to them. You know, one of the things that Mr. Rogers, the guy that had the show for kids, right? He was getting into child psychology in the 60s because it was kind of a new thing. Before Mr. Rogers, you had kids being raised and they were to really kind of shut up and pay attention. Just follow my lead, son. Just follow my lead, daughter. And in a lot of cases, that obviously created some amazing people. And the way that you can gauge that is pick your country. Pick the maximum output of your country in terms of benefits to society, developing technology, levels of education. Um, it could even be just the dress and attire, the average dress and attire of a citizen in your country. In America, we saw probably the peak of scientific uh, per capita contribution to our country in the mid-60s. Now, obviously, amazing things occurred when things like microcomputers blew up. So we've had a couple renaissance since then. But the, the big difference between 1965, let's just say, if I put a pin in that and say that's really where it started to turn into the hippie movement, where everyone started dropping acid and tuning out, right? When the computer revolution came up due to really Apple computer, creating the microcomputer revolution, and then all the other brands that came out, you then had a nerd class 
a very small group of people that were turned on by messing with those machines, and the rest of the world was completely oblivious to what was coming that was going to be really a, a part of their life in the 90s where you couldn't come to work and not use a computer. I just recently watched a video published out of the Bay Area where they were covering people buying computers and taking them home and struggling to hook up a printer, figure out what they were doing, and they dropped thousands of dollars on this stuff. And some of these people were screaming at their machines. Different paradigms of existence, right? Mr. Rogers started the process of engaging kids at their levels, right? Those who are good at raising kids understand the severity of a child's perception, a child's paradigm towards the rest of the world. No matter what age you are, you have a spectrum of emotion that you can engage in for various reasons. One being totally calm and the other one a complete panicked person, right? As you get older, usually, depending on how much you've experienced in life, this mechanism will change where it takes a lot more to make you panic and you spend most of your life in a more calm state. We know that folks that went to war and came back and they weren't uh, disrupted with PTSD, they're pretty relaxed guys and gals because they have seen hell and now they're back home and they're like, wow, you guys have no idea what it's like to be in a trench, you know, what it's like to be crawling through a desert or whatever. And so they're very content with their existence. The ones that I find, because I come from a little small town, that will get to their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they're still just as fragile as they were at like eight years old, is because they haven't experienced anything. There was no need to ever change the spectrum of their emotions. And so they stay these very reactionary people. And you have to understand, okay, the folks that are manipulating the world completely and utterly understand what I'm telling you and way beyond anything I could perceive. They do the metrics to figure out the response mechanisms of problem-reaction-solution. It's that problem that is designed specifically for this growing demographic of gullible people who believe the sciences, right? Go off and take medical regimens that destroy their lives. They have strokes. They have heart attacks, et cetera, et cetera. They design the problem to make sure that the reaction is exactly what they're looking for. And then, of course, they've got all the solutions lined up, which is the change they're looking for. The entire game is to make you love something that, before the problem, you weren't going to let that happen no matter what. And now, all of a sudden, it's the greatest idea in the world. Like, for instance, if somebody were to ask in, say, 2018, all the countries in the world and say, well, what if your government came to you and suggested that you get an injection in your body for whatever reason? Would you do it? You'd probably have out of that super gullible group of folks that never studied anything scientific in their life and regret it. And so they love to usurp the word science to make them have an automatic degree in whatever it is they're debating, right? They would say no still. They would be like, well, why would I do that? There's no reason for me to do that. I feel healthy. Why should I do that? Now, some cultures, they just trust government, but they're not usually first world countries. I understand. It, and, and some folks can't resist free. I mean, that, that's a huge thing in where I live in Southern California. The cultures that came from countries that are 
totalitarian countries, they lined up for that free shot because that's what made it's free. It's like free stuff. Oh man, can't, can't turn down free. But most indigenous folks over here really had to debate it in their head. But now look at what happened in uh, 2020. There was a problem introduced, really bad disinformation about the cause and effect and what it was. It turns out the whole thing was imaginary. The whole thing was imaginary. If it wasn't imaginary, they wouldn't have usurped all the flu cases in 2020. But they had to to create their numbers, to create a bigger problem. Then, of course, these folks went up and with their credibility, whatever last ounce of credibility they had, they believed some musician or some actor or their favorite politician telling them that if they did this, that all these wonderful outcomes would be possible. And what did we find out? All that was BS. Everything they said that wouldn't happen to you happened to you. Mm. So is there a value in upgrading your paradigms? Well, yeah, because as they try to push this out there, this problem, reaction, solution, situation, order from chaos situation, you will no longer panic during the problem phase. You, the more enlightened you get, the more you can see, the more paradigms that you have basically exhausted because you've gone into them and find out either they were legit or they were illegitimate, you'll realize that it's all made up and you'll gain control. And in this particular case, as you avoided any of the medical regiments and you weren't in the placebo group, then uh, you will have saved your life with an upgrade to your mind. But of course, we still have to debate it and we're going to be debating this if they don't pull something new. And not to say that nothing like that comes around for another 10 years. And it's been, what, at least two years probably since that was a big deal. You're going to be debating its existence and what to do about it for probably another three or four years. If we move quickly through this paradigm where your government's going to do this, this organization in Europe that tells you what to do, tells your country what to do, and then you have to do it, just surrendering all this control, right? Now, I'm going to give you sort of a foundational concept that goes with this paradigm concept. And this is extremely, extremely important. Uh, we're going to be very uh, metaphorical or at least uh, symbolic about this exact subject. But most of you will understand what I'm saying. I don't want to get anyone riled up. And I certainly don't want the bots to get all over this uh, episode. But there's a paradigm of religion out there that tells its people, that actually there's several, but there's one that's very active right now, and they wrote their own religion, right? Like all countries do. They wrote their own religion. And in that writing, they told themselves, and they try to tell the rest of the world that they are literally the chosen people of God. Now, what's interesting about that slice of people is that 80, 85% of that group of folks are actually atheists and don't entertain any of that on any level. So definitely keep that in your back pocket. I've had that confirmed by dozens of people from a specific country that touts this religion. But it's been used recently to murder tens of thousands of people. Okay. And just savagely doing it, right? Can't be good. And of course, other folks did things first, but that could be the same group of people. 
But there's a concept that really revealed myself because a friend of mine sent me this uh, video about being the chosen people. And technically speaking, this person doesn't qualify for that group because this group basically says that the bloodline has to come from the mom and it can't come from the father. And for this particular person, it came only from the father and not from the mother. So technically, in the eyes of these people, this person isn't even part of the group. Not even remotely part of the group, okay? But there is something I call like turning yourself inside out. You turn your self-perception inside out. Like the concept of taking a sphere and turning it inside out, right? It's, it's really twisting the mind a little bit. But what do I mean by that? Because this feeds how... Uh, it's, it's sort of a fuel and a foundation for how you engage a paradigm. We don't ask each other very often. I don't think we ask each other this at all. But if I walked up to you and I said, are you awesome? Are you a really amazing person? That might be a question you've never been asked in your entire life. Because we're worried about the answer being uh, moved into a category called ego. I have a whole episode on ego. It's a very important episode. But in that episode, what I really stress is there's confidence and there's ego. Confidence, you should have as much of it as you possibly can based on your true capabilities or your capability of learning something new. Because you may not know how to do something and then you just have this magic touch. The first time you do it, it's fantastic. And then you move on to something else, right? Well, the kind of person, in my opinion, that needs to be told that they are a special person, especially the chosen people of God, is a person that has been taught to turn, from the youngest childhood moment, they turn themselves inside out. So their self-perception is being dictated by some external source of information. The Sally Fields, who finally got an Oscar and went up there and said, you know, I, I, you love me, you really love me, which is, by the way, a Mandela effect now. I have another episode on fame which I have seen lots of fame people, okay, because I've hung out in these circles from music to acting to behind-the-camera people to people even in the video game industry who sought fame. If you can't value yourself in a vacuum, okay, meaning there's no one else validating you, but you can validate yourself, I think that you have maintained sort of the godly construction of your perception of reality. You are in control of your perception of yourself, at least you should be. You should be able to look in the mirror, look at your life, and say, you know what, maybe, you know, forget about uh, famous things that people do, right? Because you might have had a, a dream when you were a teenager of being some fame thing. And sometimes people go off and become great accountants and they, they change lives in beautiful ways or they build homes or whatever they do. They're, they're, whatever they, they're just a great clerk at some store. And every time someone comes in, everybody feels better when that person's working because they just have a smile that just drills through your soul. It's fantastic. These individuals deserve to answer the question, yeah, you know what, I, I try to be as humble as I can, but I, I think I am awesome, you know? But my understanding of what God wants from me, yeah, I think I've, overall, I've obviously made mistakes and I've hurt people's feelings once or twice in my life or more, but overall, 
I really make people feel pleasant. I help without someone asking me, you know, for a favor. You're good. But now let's go to the moon missions and stay right on this subject. But let's go to the moon missions. Now, if you're new to the show, you need to see all the moon episodes and you will completely understand where this is coming from. If you're OG, you understand. We don't believe that man has ever been to the moon on this show for very, very specific reasons. If you're at a dinner table, we had, again, that listener that, that mentioned talking to his father. He, his family's Indian. And when India claimed to have put a vehicle on the moon, it was a big deal, of course. And, of course, he has his own education, stuff he got from the show. And he's like, look, I really don't think we can get there, okay? And that made his father furious. Now, that same thing happens in America, although less and less. But if you were to have that conversation in 1973 in America, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, you better guard your eyeballs because someone's going to try to punch you out. Because somehow, at some point, these individuals turn themselves inside out. The way that they view themselves is to latch onto things like a moon mission and say, look, man went to the moon because that makes me feel better about myself. I am man. I am homo sapien sapien. We did this. Or they could say America did this and no one else has, whatever perception they want. But they're using an external accomplishment of which they have nothing to do with to value themselves. Now, for people that are lucky enough to get on a stage and do some type of performance or get in front of a camera and they get published on TV or movies or whatever, it's a slightly different source, but it's the same exact problem. Now, there are people who act and they don't care what anybody thinks about them. Uh, what was it? Andy Kaufman was one of these guys. He washed dishes in Hollywood, I think on Sunset Boulevard in some restaurant in the back while he's on taxi, while he's walking on the Johnny Carson show. Because to him, it was important to stay grounded and not get in the fame game. George Lucas moves uh, across the Golden Gate Bridge and starts his company and was San Rafael, right? He guarded all of his buildings. They look like uh, auto repair shops and lamp factories or whatever they were, but nothing said ILM on it. Nothing said Lucas Films on it. And he lived away from the public. Very few appearances in public. Spielberg, eh, he did all kinds of public appearances. It was his personality to be in the public eye. Bought a big mansion in Beverly Hills. I mean, geez, people drive by every single day, every single day, 365 days out of the year since probably he bought that place on one of those Hollywood map tours, right? There's Steven Spielberg's house. And they go home, I saw, I saw some bricks that are owned by Steven Spielberg. You don't want to do that. Don't turn yourself inside out. And if you have, it's time to flip it back so that you can own yourself. It's the last thing on earth that the people who control this planet want you to do. Because why? If you put your opinion of yourself inside yourself, well, who can control that from the outside world? No one can, really. No one can. I mean, maybe you make some mistakes and you judge yourself differently on a particular day. But remember, time does heal all. If you make some mistakes, you just repent in your own mind and you cease to do that, right? But if you're getting your self-perception from the outside world, who gets to control that? TikTok gets to control that. Instagram gets to control that. 
Facebook, Instagram, all these outside resources get to control that. If you're going, biting off all these liberal agendas, well, geez, the news gets to control you. They pat you on the back. Good job, Bobby. Why do these people do all these protests all around the world, destroying works of art, gluing themselves to the ground? Hilarious, right? Because they have externalized their self-perception. I'm doing this because there's a movement. If the movement didn't exist, I wouldn't do this. There was, a, well, there still is a movement out there that is sometimes, although this is tempered quite a bit, was symbolized by a red hat here in America as a four-letter name, which is an acronym. And it is amazing to see folks, including the White House, okay, the current administration puts out a, puts out a uh, webpage right before Thanksgiving to help people talk to people who are uh, believing in this other red hat movement, right? To, sh to basically serve them up, you know, I'm going to give you the best responses, which obviously aren't good responses because there's no substance to not taking care of your country. There's a derangement syndrome that is on the other side who people, for people who see these people and react badly. And it is really unbelievable to see the reactions from these individuals because they've, they've allowed a hat to trigger them, triggering in general. Think about it. An outside force triggers you or gaslights you, right? Where they tell you so many weird different stories that you can't find the truth in the story. My goal for this entire show has been to make sure that as a human being, you gain as much control over your mind as you possibly can, because we're here for a very short period of time in any one instance of the human body. You, if you're younger, I mean, almost everyone over 40, especially over 50, you think back on your emotions that you had when you were a teenager or maybe in your 20s, and it just seemed like this fortuitous time in your life was just inexhaustible. And now it's tougher and tougher and tougher for those those exact generations, which is really a letdown. It's 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 your country letting you down when a kid gets a, a college degree, racks up a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, and is parking cars for a living, and that's the most income they can make. They could have parked cars without a college education and without the hundred thousand dollar debt. It's it's obviously a mechanism of repression. No college has any accountability to their students. So the sooner you can get control over your mind, the better your life is going to be. And to have some of the tiniest things happen in your life that are words of encouragement when you need that word of encouragement. Because there are paradigms that we push ourselves into because uh, we make a decision. Oh, I'm this kind of guy. You know, I'm going to be that kind of person. Because no one really thought about being conservative or liberal when I was a kid. It never came up in conversation. We're just human beings and we're trying to live our lives and try to get the most out of it. Trying to have a family, trying to provide for our kids, be good to our neighbors, all that good stuff. Take care of the old. And it was just something you did. And they just had it correct. And then all of a sudden, and this is a big time, big element of the outside manipulation of false paradigms. When I say false paradigms now, I'm talking about paradigms that are hokey, 
right? Global warming is a, is a false paradigm. Just go look up the greenhouse gas layer index and find out how much CO2 is in it, and it will end the discussion overnight. And that's been something in, in almanacs, or sorry, um, encyclopedias forever, right? I mean, it's, it's documented. But I'm going to make a, a statement here, and I think this is true. There's been no study on this, of course, because this would be looking behind the curtain, right? If I'm manipulating you with the paradigm, and I make the paradigm incorrect, and the problem reaction solution doesn't go right for me because I'm, I'm the banker royal family that's trying to mess with you, most of which you don't know their names, by the way. If it doesn't work, it might take me another 10, 20 years to create another problem that's perfectly calibrated to have the reaction that I want. Because in the game of the narrative, they have to mold society between these moments to make sure that the reaction's going to be popular so that they get what they want. So they'll prime the pump forever. I worked on a movie once for a promo because a guy was going to make, uh, I can't mention the movie, but he was going to be introducing a transhuman element in this film. And he realized that the transhuman conversation at the time, this was at least 10 years ago, wasn't very mature. And so he hired me and this other dude to design a campaign to stimulate the conversation. Eventually they, uh, after wasting our time for about six months, pulled out of doing it and it, the movie flopped horribly but they were trying to make sure that when the movie came out, everybody understood the, the arguments that were going to be presented in this film. Well, don't think that's not happening at the massive narrative level. So, how do they make this a little easier for themselves? Well, one, they push social media. They push social media like nauseam. Think about this. If you're a customer of at least the Macintosh platform on a computer... The last 10 updates to the operating system have been 80% trying to embed social media into your operating system. So no matter where you are, they're sending your data up to the server, meaning everything you did on your computer. And it's like, will you contribute to make this operating system better and send your usage data to us? They're putting it off as a, as a mechanism of sort of doing us a favor, but they're basically surveilling you, right? But why are they trying to latch everything to social media? Every mobile operating system has done this because that's what it is. You're online constantly, little red dots all over your applications, right? It essentially says, this person was here touching this game, collecting that money. We don't care about the game. We want to know where they are at any one point in time, the GPS coordinates of that individual. Now, paradigms. We have seen paradigms come and go like toilet paper, right? I don't know if any of you remember the, the Coney 2012 thing, as well as the end of the world 2012 thing. They coincided at the same time. The Mayan calendar was going to be predicted, according to a bunch of idiots who don't know how to read a Mayan calendar, that it was going to be 2012, December. The Coney 2012 was a bullshit story about a guy that said that these, um, these gorillas these mercenary guerrillas had gone into a village and captured all these girls and took them way out in the jungle and was raping and murdering them and all this other stuff. Well, maybe in a Hollywood mansion, that's probably true. 
But eventually, people got so concerned, they flew over there, they went out in the jungle, and they saw all these people and started taking photographs of them and realized these are wives. They've been married to these guys for a long time. The kids are their kids. No one's being raped or murdered or anything. Yeah, they might be a little radical in their beliefs compared to you. And eventually, that kid who was leading it out of San Diego disappears for two weeks and winds up drugged out of his mind, naked after a big MK Ultra session. And he was done, and so was the MK, uh, so was the Coney 2012 paradigm, that little mechanism to make you hate your neighbor. I had a buddy of mine who lost a girlfriend due to this Coney 2012 thing, because he was tolerating her talking about it, and then he finally just said, "Look, man, I don't want to hear about this anymore. Right? You're not from Africa. This isn't your problem." Oh, and by the way, have you read the article and seen the photographs of the people that actually went over and proved that this kid's full of crap? Right? But there's a paradigm for everybody. And what they've done is they've sped up the creation of new movements so that they got every single demographic inside of a movement. Right? For one of them, it might be BLM, another one might be Antifa, the other one might be global warming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of these are buckets of paradigms to grab each individual group of people they can possibly grab onto because they're all turned inside out. They're worried about everyone else's problems in their life except their own. So they're not getting employed. They're not contributing to society. They're not learning anything except how to disrupt the world. And eventually, mommy and daddy won't be able to pay for their rent anymore. And so you have guys like George Soros paying their rent through mechanisms or Craigslist posts to say, hey, we're going to do this protest. We need 500 people to come down and pretend to care about this thing. They're not messing around. But their game has been largely unexposed. So let's expose it through this very conversation you can have with other people. Now, I'm from a little town in Kansas. And I remember when it was great. And I mean great, great. Downtown had tons of businesses owned all by the citizens of the town. We used to drag Maine. We used to hang out together as kids. Yeah, we had fights and stuff. And there's accidents and all this other stuff. But it's just normal life. And because in a small town, you have people that have lived there their entire lives, if you know an 80-year-old person, just having a few conversations with them, you get the illustration of what the town was like before that. My family was very involved with my town, as, as well as several other families in the town. My grandmother used to do a lot of restoration stuff for downtown, even back in the 50s and 60s. My grandfather was a city clerk, also owned a dry cleaners. My other grandfather had a used car dealership. So, in listening to just, just to my relatives, let alone all of the close friends that would come over all the time and just roaming around town talking to people, I know that for the majority of the 20th century, my hometown was fantastic. It wasn't an illusion. Now, why did it get weird? They got a big Walmart in town, and then they got a super Walmart, and they closed the little one down. I even worked for the little one when Sam Walton was still alive. Well, eventually, when the Super Walmart came in, downtown disappears. It's all vacant businesses now. You could probably rent it for a few hundred bucks a month. They have a storefront property, and they they have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, not millions of dollars on downtown, making it look better. I think they have lamps now. This little tiny town of 7,500 people, every lamp's like 20 grand or something. Okay, so it looks good, but no one's one's doing anything. Why? Because there was a change. In paradigms, 
we have to be aware of the frequency of change in all categories of the stuff. Now, with social media and, and internet caring movements, it looks like uh, there's a disturbing moment in the force, if you will. These paradigms are getting created and they're not dying. If they are able to amass a ton of kids, usually kids, you know, I got shoes that are older than some of these kids, right? But man, you got this Greta Thunberg harvesting all these kids into these movements. I've talked to friends of mine, they think she's the cutest thing on planet Earth. And when I finally, you know, think, thought about it, my friend who was saying that it's latched into a bunch of paradigms. That's that's the thing. She's turned herself inside out. And so she latches on to all this stuff. And of course, that kid's great for them. No, no need to study any science, right? And again, when is like a 12-year-old, when she started talking, know anything about anything? She's being told things and she repeats it. But I was thinking about this the other day when it comes to change. Now, things change because technologies introduce themselves, and that's usually how a society changes, right? There are several hundred years, you know, probably from the 1600s, 1700s, and 1800s, where pretty much the, the technology that people had access to to do their daily chores, it just depended on if you lived near a city or you lived out in the woods. But if you lived out in the woods, man, it's, it's pretty much the same thing for hundreds of years, you got a few more notes in classical music in the civilized world. Maybe some plumbing. Maybe you got you get a, a better shit house outside of your place, right? But for the most part, change was slow because people would suggest a, a new technology be added. It could be a car versus horse and buggy. And they would integrate it slowly over time, taking the time to figure out how to make this a pure benefit to society and not injure society. Well, how much time do you think we spend today evaluating a whole new paradigm of existence, a whole new method of music that's full of all these frequencies that literally rot your DNA? The big concern about wireless technology, it's just absolutely running rampant, right? Cell phone, uh, was it 5G and 6G is already out in, in China at least? bombarding the human body with hundreds of billions of megahertz and gigahertz, actually gigahertz, excuse me, of frequencies shaking your body like crazy. Diabetes is going through the roof if you live close to a cell phone tower. Why? Because when insulin tries to wrap itself around sugar in your body, it's literally being shaken to the point where it can't accurately do it. And so you can go into insulin shock. Cell phones up to your ears. You know, well, there's issues, man. Got to be careful. Those things were tested on rubber dummies with water inside them, right? Not human beings. But imagine that they sell you a benefit to your life without mentioning any of the harms. Has that happened in the past accidentally? Well, maybe. Maybe. When you talk about being a sort of an all-natural person, usually what you're referencing is are thousands of years of People experimenting with eating herbs, eating roots and flowers and meats or whatever, and they and milks, and they watched as what the effect was. And every time it was a negative effect, they struck that out of the out of the book of solutions. And then over time, through sheer experimentation, they figured out what was best for man. 
Now, if you could have a solution from the Babylonian times, let's just say 5,000 BC, and that solution made you feel full of energy, very lucid, very excited to be alive, do you need another solution for that? No. I mean, unless it takes like 20 hours to have five hours worth of good time. But we know back in the past, it was very simple, very simple solutions for a lot of things. But now let's talk about a different type of paradigm. Because this one plagues everybody. I heard it last night like crazy. The question came up, and this is a big thing we've talked about on this show, which is now called the Tartarian Movement online, as to whether or not history had ever been reset intentionally. You know, a flood is a flood is a flood, right? Go see my uh, Expanding Earth event, which, by the way, is really caused some incredible side conversations with individuals going, man, I ever heard about this, but wow, that makes complete sense to me. When they look at the ocean floor, they can see the event on the ocean floor. But I'll give you two paradigms that I hear about quite often. And we talk about on the show because I want your mind to not believe in them and punch through those paradigms because it's designed to stop your mind from being inquisitive. The lesser of the two is probably the Big Bang. The more severe of the two is called the Ice Ages. And you might think, well, wait a minute, the Big Bang is the universe being created. How could that be less than the Ice Age? Well, going back as far as the concept of beginning the universe, which is sort of, for me, a very asinine, you know, something from nothing conversation, Uh, Again, man probably can't conceive of what it really is because it's an is. It's always been here. There's never been anything but this, right? And we just happen to be in a little, you know, beginning, middle, and end human body as our souls live in the other realm. You can't hide energy in the universe. Therefore, your soul goes on forever. We We don't need to worry about what's in the afterlife or before this life. They wanted a theory that made Cambridge University very popular and made it, again, so a housewife could tell her husband, I saw something on TV and I can tell you how the universe started. It's just a big bang, right? Again, if you had a singularity, you have one chemical element, period. You need at least two contradictory elements to create an explosion. So once you reduce the whole universe down to a singularity of their definition with no mass, ha, 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 There's nothing to explode. But go see my episodes on the Big Bang. Ice Ages. Why is that more harmful to man? Well, again, if you go look up Ice Ages, uh, the only proof that they they submit is big rolling stones, stones that have been rolled under big glaciers. And we know glaciers exist. We see them all the time. But they tell you this story. At 40,000, 45,000 BC, there's an ice age, you know. They never explain how far these glaciers could possibly encompass the entire world. And they can't explain why this would ever occur in the first place. Why would the temperature get so weird such that these glaciers would, would grow all over the world? It's because they're trying to make sure that you have a knee-jerk paradigm to cancel ever going back any further than that. To basically tell yourself, well, you know, I don't think man could exist past the Ice Age, you know, because that's, it was all ice, man. Okay. Well, they don't really ever talk about how far down these ice glaciers go. At least I've never seen anyone ever claim it, ever. I've seen tons of 
history specials, discovery specials on this throughout my childhood. Egypt probably didn't get swallowed up by this. There's a whole bunch of history right there in Egypt. Right around Cairo, but all over Egypt, all the way down to Africa, all the way over to Turkey. Pyramids and monoliths and in Greece and Baalbek, Lebanon. You've got all these crazy 1,000 ton rocks just making the foundation of this place with, you know, red granite pillars that are from Egypt. And then Egypt's got uh, basalt box boxes all over the place with basalt floors that are 1,400 feet down in the ground. It's the whole floor of a room. You know, it's like, wait a minute. Basalt rock doesn't come from Egypt. So how did you bring over a piece, potentially from Lebanon, that was so huge it could be the floor of a room? And how thick is it? They don't know. Egypt, again, they've probably excavated back in their time down a mile because four stories is over a thousand feet down. Four stories. And they say there's 20 plus stories down. Wow. How far down are you if you're going down 20 stories in an Egyptian model of, a, of what a, one story is? It's several hundred feet as opposed to the 10-footers that we have here above ground, our buildings, right? They talk about the Dark Ages. They want to push into your brain these barriers where pretty much anything cool can exist past that point. And think about it. You're trying to figure out where you are in your lifetime. If you're the slightest bit inquisitive, why am I here? What's the universe? Life, the universe, and everything. Of course, the answer is 42, but we're still trying to figure out the question, right? You're never going to find any answers if the paradigms that you worship are all closing your mind. I used to think when I was young that we went to school and it opened your mind. And I think perhaps when I was in school, for the most part, it did open my mind. But today, the game is the inverse, to make you feel like you know something. But in the end, you're worshiping all these bad paradigms of medicine, these bad paradigms of science. And so you become more and more full of it the more that you get organized education from a lot of these institutions. I think, and I, you, you give me your opinion, when you look at like state-owned colleges, it is at an all-time maximum of absolute indoctrination. I mean, I used to, I did a contract for two years at one of our state colleges and oh my gosh, I couldn't even recognize these kids. They were nothing like anything that I, I was seeing anywhere else in my neighborhood. I mean, there's a special kind of delusionary kid that was going to these schools. However, my friends had sent their kids to Ivy League schools because they're rich. Well, these kids go to school, come back, visit. We talk in the summertime, you know, maybe they live at home. And they just keep getting more and more amazing, more and more enlightened. They're being built to become entrepreneurs, to run the business as opposed to being an employee for the business. They don't have any degrees um, on average that are unemployable because the college holds themselves accountable because they're Ivy League colleges. The problem is you need about half a million bucks to finish four years. So there is sort of this quarantined access to really good information. I think any of you have studied like uh, the Gilded Age and the Tartarian phase. If you look at our Telegram page, Deep Thoughts channel on Telegram, which we haven't had a new subscriber in weeks, probably months, 
It's one of the best feeds in the world. You see the inventions that were going on in the late 1800s in the Gilded Era. Unbelievable. These, these, you know, like, I don't even know what the hell you call them. You can't call them unicycles, but this one giant tire that goes completely around your body, just like Men in Black uh, had, in, I think, Men in Black 3. You just ride it, and it's amazing. It goes over all the terrain. It's a giant wheel. There were uh, little scooters that guys stood on in their full strapped down, you know, coat for winter and their hats and they're dressed in a, you know, nice suit and they're standing on this wheel device that just basically takes them down the street. The moving sidewalks in the uh, World's Fair in Paris. We had technology falling out of every orifice back in those days. And today it's unbelievable if a kid with free education on YouTube or very cheap education on Udemy there's no excuse why you're not exactly what you want to be if you're a young kid today. It's free, man. ChatGPT alone is free and it will educate you about anything that it knows about. The only requirement is that you have to be able to ask the question properly to get what you want. I am yet to find it really having any issues. Probably 1% of my requests about coding are completely and utterly cut and pasteable into my code. Of course, you have to take the time to understand what it's doing. Otherwise, you're not learning how to fish, right? But now let's talk about paradigms that maybe are false, but overall guide a society that is primitive to a better place. And this was a large part of our conversation last night, which is that religions, depending on how you perceive them, I think that there's a lot of divine truths in, in a lot of the books that have been written in different religions. And I, I, I say that with all sincerity. I think that there's been incredible godlike divine truths written in some of this stuff. But pay on to Caesar what is Caesar's? That's not divine. Okay? You see, in today's society, they have mechanisms that stabilize their crazy. You think you're crazy? Well, just go online and get into a group that believes this false paradigm that you're believing and you'll have thousands if not millions of people telling you that you're right and that your folks are basically the chosen ones of whatever paradigm you're worshiping right again these people are turned inside out but imagine you go back two or three thousand years and again i think man's been around on this planet for an inconceivable amount of time regardless how we got here alien drop off god made us a hundred percent it just said, ding, ding, ding. I think we are absolutely divinely created. Just look at design, folks. Look at the paint jobs on birds and the paint jobs on praying mantis. And if you don't see God, then stop taking drugs, okay? But if you have a society where it's, let's just take a little village. Okay, I've talked about this several times, but we're right on point here, okay? You got a village. And it basically is defined by a bunch of people that decided to live in the same area. Now, the problem is, is that there's a big dude in your village and he's sort of in charge only because he's six foot eight and he's really proportioned and he's aggressive and everybody's terrified of the dude because everyone, you know, back, say, let's just say 4,000 years ago, we were slightly shorter because the giants were their own species, right? None of this may be true. Okay. But the big dude goes around and bullies everybody. And especially you got a hot mom. He's going to bash your dad's head in, and now your mom's one of his concubine people. 
and she doesn't like it. And he's rough and he's mean and he doesn't like you very much because you are not of his spawn. So he's trying to kill you too. He doesn't make your mom completely upset. So he tries to make it look like an accident, whatever, right? You have civil unrest within your village. Now, I was told by a group of biblical scholars at the church I went to when I was really young, about 18, 19 years old, when I was actually looking for the evidence of Christ's existence, because I was writing a book and I just thought everybody had this and you could just write it, you know, take that information, put it in the book and it was great. And I kept asking and asking, asking in the youth group. I was like 18, but I was the oldest kind of taking care of the kids because I could drive. And I said, you know, I just need you to give me that information. It should just be a cut and paste situation, right? Well, after several months, they pulled me into the elder room which is next to the youth group room, and these dudes were staring at me. Where These dudes are made out of uh, Pepperdine University PhDs, right? So there's at least one guy in the room, I think there was two, that were biblical professors in Pepperdine. One of them was a doctor in psychology. One of them was the elder of the church I live with. And then there's the preacher. And I remember them pulling me and they said, you're looking for the evidence of Christ, right? And I said, yeah. And I was so excited because I'm thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to get this. I'll be able to finish the book because I need to figure out what that evidence is. And then I'll put it in the book and make it all reveal cool like an Indiana Jones thing, right? Well, they said, well, you know, there is no evidence of Christ. None. Zero. But without religion, there's no family. And I was looking at him like, what do you mean? He said, well, Religion made it a imperative that you get married and you have children, that there's a union between a man and a woman, and that, and I, you know, it's, I don't see that in the Bible at all, but uh, it did obviously in, in, infer that that was something that you do, but it got rid of the bully in the village because the village suddenly had a movement of do no harm as it relates to first Old Testament, eye for an eye, and then Jesus dying for everybody's sins in the New Testament, right? And I never forgot that. I mean, that was, uh, one, I was shocked that there was no evidence of Christ, and I confirmed that several times through many sources. This was the big debate last night. My buddy kept saying, there definitely is proof, and he kept saying, anthropologists proved it. I'm like, I don't sure you understand what anthropologists are. I said, well, tell me what the proof is. And he just said, oh, a bunch of people said he existed. And I was like, that's not proof, man. That's hearsay. Give me, I'll rewrite my book still. Just give it to me, man. And he was living in mixed paradigms. Whatever would, would, would make him the victor of the last thing said in the room, he would literally re-register his processor to the new paradigm. Blah, 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 big bang. Well, I don't believe in that, you know, new paradigm. Uh, <laughs> I literally believe the Bible. New paradigm. The Bible is... Uh, all metaphor, you know, and it was like funny to see this. He was drinking a little bit too, which loosened him up. It was a wonderful experience to see this. It was very educational for me. But sometimes those paradigms exist in order to help society get to the next level of being cool with each other. I have the privilege of sitting in this room, smoking a stick, recording myself and sending it out to you because I don't have somebody trying to kill me right now. It's not the post-apocalyptic fallout world. Why? Because we don't bomb each other with nuclear weapons because that would be really bad. And every human on earth, except for a few psychopaths, agrees. And that's good. I've said it several times on the show that I think at least if you're an American citizen and you've been here for a while, a few generations, 
if you have any moral fabric in your body, but you're not considered, you don't go to church or anything, I think that you got that from your relatives that did go to church, figured out the rules that work for man, and then taught your parents who taught you. The problem is the church is under attack everywhere. So it's, it's, that's why you have the new movements that are all about anti-God, everything, anti-creation, be sterilized, cut your bits and pieces off, kids, start taking drugs that modify your body permanently. You're allowed to make permanent decisions about your body, but you can't get a tattoo until you're 18. You can't drink anything until you're 21. You can't vote until you're 18. You know, except it's all this contradiction. You know, you know the drill. But I recently saw this incredible documentary kind of series on Netflix. Believe me, I understand Netflix has issues with its founder. But this was all about encounters, and it talked about the Fukushima. This is, I think the show is called Encounters. It's only like three or four episodes, or four or five episodes, but they went to Fukushima, and they talked to all these Japanese folks that were seeing tons of UFOs. They filmed it, too. It's incredible. I didn't know about this. All these balls in the sky filmed by these people, and they, you know, they do all this dancing around the sky. They said that during the earthquake, when they would look out at the carnage, all those cars and all those homes that were destroyed by the flood, they're trying to find the bodies of people to get them, you know, buried properly. And they said that they would see this, uh, they have this religion that when you die, your soul turns into a blue energy and then goes into the heavenly realm, the other cosmology of the soul. And they said they were seeing glowing blue balls uh, all over cars and homes, inside rooms and things. And these people were rescuing uh, the bodies, the dead bodies, I guess rescue is probably not the right word, but recovering these bodies. And they said it became almost a game where they would be, they go out to the area and they, it wasn't one for one, right? There'd be a ton of light out there. But they said these these round balls of blue light would be hovering over a car. And they said, as soon as we went to the car, we found a body. But other cars wouldn't have any. So by the time they recover that, put it away, they go back, and that was in a different place. And they would go find a body. It was just one for one. It was interesting. But the, the more interesting thing that relates to this episode was that there was a very American, uh, spoke beautiful English, a Japanese guy that was trying to make the viewer understand the difference between Japanese religion and Western American religion. And he said, we don't have any form of organized religion in Japan. He said, your morals are passed down to you by your parents. And this is expected. And so the, the church paradigm that exists in America where you get that reinforcement, and if you don't go to church and your family hasn't gone to church for a long time, I can tell you definitely uh, it's, it's a one for one. I mean, it's unbelievable. The less a family has gone to church, wow, they just have all kinds of criminals in their family. And, you know, now there are definitely exceptions to the rule. Of course, there's families that understand this paradigm and they go, okay, kid, you know, there's do no harm and treat your neighbor like you would yourself, you know. But it's pretty rare, unfortunately. That's why when you go to the Midwest of America, which is pretty much the central two-thirds of America, 
people come from the city and they go to my little town. They're like, oh my God, everybody's so nice. And I try to give a kid a tip and he's freaking out that it's over $2, you know. That's because they have morals. That's because the parents still go to church. They have to go to church at least three or four times a year during certain holidays and religious days, right? So they're constantly getting reinforced. Well, regardless of any of those stories are true or false, it's helping a society grow. And so isn't that an incredible rub that we could have false paradigms that actually enhance society and false paradigms that absolutely tear society apart? At the fundamental level, a paradigm is just a belief system. And so it's extremely subjective. But we don't really want to admit that, do we? That maybe we're kind of following a, uh, a cheat sheet that's more metaphorical than literal. And that's why when, when the men of my church back in the day, back when I first moved to California, I went for about three years, pretty, pretty heavy. They would obviously understand, okay, if, say, an invading force, and this was Europe's history, right? An invading force is coming in who worships some dude who's maybe a little more radical. And there's like a, a war going on, right? Spain saw a lot of this, right? The people who are potentially in Spain might be like, wait a minute, we got everything figured out. I mean, for the most part, we're really good to each other. Obviously, we're trying to tighten some loose ends here and there where things are falling through the cracks here and there. But here comes this group that basically says marrying a two-year-old's fine. It says that women are half of a man. All this crazy disruption that's going to mess up this otherwise perfectly balanced first world brain set, right? And so, of course, the men are like, okay, this is happening on our watch. Sorry, bros, but you got to pick up that, that sword, that, you know, whatever, that gunpowder weapon or whatever. And we're going to have to fight because if these guys come in here and change the way that we believe, then we're all dead anyway. Because they also believe we're not their bloodline. We don't deserve to exist. Slippery slope. So imagine that. You've got, technically speaking, you're an alien watching from outside. And you're in orbit and they can't, no one can see your vehicle stealth. And you've got all the data, the true data about the world's development. And you know that there's one faction worshiping potentially a story that isn't technically true. But it yields more fruit. And this other one is just pure chaos, right? There's a little bit of fruit in there, but man, it's, it's, no one's happy in this, except the guy getting his rocks off, right? And there's always some Klingon wanting to kill him. So it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, even in their paradigm. There's that old saying that, I forgot who said, it was one of the, I think, Greek philosophers that essentially said, look, the more I learned, the more I realized I knew nothing. And that could be, that's a very loaded statement. I mean, that, that literally could mean so many different things because we would have to know what paradigm of thought is that person uttering that statement. But I find that it's, it's definitely possible to abstract yourself from the paradigm that is being projected at you from this reality. You can pull yourself up and out of all the paradigms and stare down from on top. And what's interesting about it when you can achieve that level of observation is that 
like an alien in a mothership staring down at human beings, there's one, there's a few things that are missing. The humans find it very difficult to subtract from their emotional spectrum. But the blame game, for instance, starts to disappear. Why would I blame anybody? I'm not part of this game. I don't care. I'm just watching these humans fight. I've been here back in the time when they said this dude got hung on a cross and that dude didn't exist. We know. We were there. Maybe these aliens lived two or 3,000 years. Maybe they got the video of it, you know, and it's like it didn't happen. But that story is creating more balanced, happy families in the world than in this particular part of the world than any other system of belief in that particular part of the world. You know, India might be the, the Hindus and the gurus and Buddhism in Japan or whatever, different paradigms. But each, each group of people, based on their psychological makeup and the history of their people, a certain system of belief clicks with them and it makes a fruitful nation. Now, there's obviously nations like China that are simply trying to dictate these uh, moral belief systems. Well, we'll see where that ends up. Maybe they got the secret sauce now. I think tyrannical rule over your people is a little bit weird, but they may perceive it as, look, we just got computers in the 70s. We just started getting, you know, phonetic uh, language in the 70s, and it took us taking us like 50 years to get it to kind of be used so someone can type on a keyboard in China. This is what we need now. You don't understand because you don't live here. And they very well may be correct. I think it's extremely beneficial to each one of us if we learn to abstract ourselves from the specificity of what's going on in a particular conversation or in the world when you're all by yourself and you're taking in a bunch of quote unquote news, right? And you're filtering it and you're letting your soul basically taste it. And it's, it's going, you know, it's like a lie detector. It goes eh, when it's like, oh, that, that can't be true. I don't know what the truth is, but that, that can't be true. And other ones go ding, ding, ding. Oh yeah, that's great. I think that most of you understand that, you know, you wake up in your body every single day and to the best of your ability, you try to treat your body good. Try not to put bad food in it. You try not to sprint as much as run a marathon because every day keeps coming, right? Until you're dead, every day keeps coming. So it's it's better that you find a nice, casual uh, sort of tempo to accomplishing your job, to enjoying your life and your family, et cetera, et cetera, right? The same is true about your brain, about your mind, that, that thing that comes into fruition when your soul attaches to your your physical DNA, right? What if, well, I shouldn't use that word, but your physical body as it starts to build itself through all the proteins and the crystals that build up who you are. You get this thing called a mind. It's a very temporary thing. You get a name assigned to you by your parents, and that's who you are. You respond to that little syllable in your ear when you hear it. Oh, someone said my name, right? There's nothing more amazing than deciding who you are as a person. To say, look, I, I see different types of people. There's probably infinite numbers of behaviors in the world. How you interpret things, how do you react to things? For me, it's been a very interesting journey. When I was younger, I had first moved to California, and I found out that I had a, I had a tendency, I had two tendencies that were very interesting. When something, when the room was really calm and relaxed, and we're telling stories or whatever, I could get 
totally riled up and, and create a story for everybody in the room. And I'd be acting out the roles or whatever. My father was very, he is very much like this. And I would then finish what I was doing and then look back on my performance and go, wow, I was really loud at that point. I was really doing this weird thing, making an accent in my voice or whatever. And I kind of almost got a little embarrassed, like, wow, it's like being on stage and something channeled through me. And I was just being this raw version of myself. And I would do that, probably still do to some extent, when the room is calm. And there's nothing, no one's getting hurt, right? But then... When chaos would happen around me, especially when I became an employer and when I was a a director, I had tons of employees. When chaos would happen in my department or my company, I would get super smooth, super, I just, my brain just got really like glass, you know, it was like really like polished glass. And that's like the metaphor of how I felt. And I would be sort of the chieftain that would say, okay, I understand. All right. So he really made you mad. Yeah. Okay. All right. I get it. Uh, well, let's see what we can do to fix this thing. And I would find a version of myself that I wouldn't see until the next moment like that would occur. And it was, uh, it was like sort of an out of body experience. There was like a mature gene inside me that would just come to the forefront and push my, my normal kind of nutty or nutty personality out of the way while this adult would handle the situation, get everything calmed down, get everybody literally to really agree about whatever we're going to do here. And then I would ease back into what I was. It's a very interesting thing. So we can have gears that, that engage us at different times. It can be very useful. Sometimes it can be very disruptive. There's folks that have the exact opposite situation Alcoholics, which is the number one pastime of Americans at this point, when they get drunk, some of them get fun and, and, and cute and interesting. I've had some girlfriends that when they got drunk, they were the cutest things on planet Earth. And other ones, oh my gosh, they could find a gnat and turn it into a, a mountain of a problem. They would be so disengaged. I mean, I had a person I dated once who, uh, on my birthday, Thought it was uh, it was at nighttime, and we had been out to a concert, and we came home, and she had all these presents on the bed. I can't remember what she was talking about, but she wanted to argue for about fifteen minutes about something really frivolous before the uh, the the present opening experience. And so now I get done with this conversation, and I'm like, oh my god, I don't feel like even being here, let alone opening presents. And so I'm not very good at reacting to presents as it is. I got that that disease. And so I'm, you know, I'm opening these things up. Yeah, this is great. You know, and I I feel, I feel so excited right now. But has she not said anything and realized, because she was drunk, right? Realized that, okay, why don't you hold that maybe, maybe in the car before, way before we get home, or let's just push it to tomorrow morning, see if you still care about that frivolous thing, right? But alcohol would just take down all of her guard and she'd just be this raw nerve, right? Definitely got some guy friends. They get drunk. They just get mean. That's why they call it spirits, right? Anyway, this is a mechanism I think will greatly improve every second of your life. It will give you a mechanism to to categorize and understand communication. It will allow you to read a room. You know, uh, I watch Shark Tank now a lot. 
And there's guys that will come on there and they look in the eyes of the sharks and they literally understand, okay, whatever's gone on before, they walk in the room. And those pitches are about an hour long. They cut them down to 10 minutes. They look at Mark Cuban's face and if he's slouching and he's not smiling, they realize, okay, he's either totally out or I got to say something to get that dude excited again. And they have to beef up their energy because that guy has none. Other times they'll walk in the room Everyone's totally excited and the person pitching is just as dry as a rock. They get argumentative and weird and they get the best deal from a shark, the, the deal they need to succeed and keep their business alive. And they start nitpicking the deal, not realizing, look, these are sharks. The minimum person sitting in a chair across from you is worth $200 million. Cubans worth almost $5 billion. You're not interviewing them. They're interviewing you. But the lack of understanding the paradigm of each individual, people walk around all the time with no sensibility whatsoever about how to read a person. And it's, it's huge. They call it bedside manner when it comes to a doctor. The doctor's going to have a kid who's uh, uh, broke his arm. And for him, that is humongous. Oh, my God, my arm's broken. I got all kinds of things I do with my arm. And then you have an older person that's, you know, had an illness for a little while. I've gone through a few sessions with other hospitals and the doctor comes in, reads the record and goes, wow, you, you've been dealing with this for five years. Okay. I'm going to talk to you a little bit different than the kid who's eight years old with a broken arm. Because there's a paradigm in that patient, number one, and there's a paradigm in patient number two. And you have to figure out what that is. Comedians walk on stage and they'll tell a few jokes to figure out their audience, if they're really good. Can they tell a dirty joke? Should they tell all clean jokes? They'll figure it out. There's also sort of this, um, I know that you've experienced it if you're at least 30. You will find that a friend of yours who's cool as a cucumber 99% of the time can get triggered by something. And what you're finding out about them is that they've actually had this paradigm of belief stuck deep down inside. And simply out of coincidence, your engagement with them has never touched and revealed that they have that other paradigm inside them. And something maybe you do or something happens in the world's uh, news or whatever blows it up and you'll be utterly stunned when they react super bad. I got a friend of mine who is, I would think, pretty awake, but he responded to some news that's gone on uh, since October in a way I thought he would never respond. And he basically started posting some items that basically said, I dare you to disagree with me. You either have to be with me or you're against me. And it was such a lowbrow exercise. And this dude's a genius. I mean, this dude's a professional entertainer. And I was just shocked. And so I posted like this asymmetrical, like, uh, meme had nothing to do with what he talked about and uh he still tried to reply to me as if i was talking about his subject matter but he, he at no point could he actually point this meme at what he was talking about it was basically like look over there squirrel you know let's let's not talk about this in public it's just not going to do you any good whatsoever we could talk about this for hours but i won't anyway i hope you dug the episode for those of you who came in through the movie uh, thing, 
we talk about this kind of stuff, but I tell you what, if you're into the human condition because you dig films, hopefully this gives you a few more tidbits, especially if you're a writer. This stuff is extremely important to understand what you're actually saying from one character to another. Anyway, if you haven't been to deepthoughtsradio.com, please go. Everything's up there. It gets better every day. I did add a new movie category up there to, to give you a quick uh, access to it. There's not a heck of a lot more than the ones I've released recently. There's a few more. But to the uh, PayPal and Patreon folks, thank you so much. You make it happen. Take care of yourself and someone else, and I'll see you in the next Deep Thoughts. Over now.